Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. It's uh, so good to be back in Nacogdoches. I arrived uh, last night. My youngest daughter, Ray, is with me. She flew back so she could be a part of Vacation Bible School next week. I told uh, Donna and the other girls that they could come when they had all the stuff packed up. So I don't know uh, when they'll get here, but uh, we expect them in maybe Wednesday or Thursday of this next week. Uh, It's been a busy couple of weeks with uh, graduation and uh, my middle daughter's 16th birthday, uh, senior piano recital, and probably some other stuff that I've forgotten about. So I appreciate your kindness and allowing me to go back and be a part of those uh, very important events in my family's life. Uh, I I love being a pastor, uh, but other people can preach. Nobody else can be a dad. And so sometimes the dad duties just uh, call me to go and do some of that. And I appreciate your uh, Uh, your uh, generosity and your kindness to allow me to go. I'm thankful for uh, Dr. Reed uh, filling in a couple of weeks ago and then Gary Davis this last week. I was able to watch uh, online and uh, really enjoyed the services and uh, the messages that those men preached. I'm so appreciative of, uh, of their ministries. If I were to ask you this morning, who do you think is the happiest person, the most joy-filled person in the city of Nacogdoches or maybe even the state of Texas, Uh, I imagine that uh, your mind would go first to those people who uh, seem to have uh, maybe the greatest resources in life, the people whose uh, circumstances are most favorable, maybe someone who has a lot of cash or or someone who has a lot of influence or or someone who has a lot of fame. Uh, But most of us are old enough to know that that's not necessarily true, right? Because we all know people who have a lot of resources whose life circumstances are good, but at the same time they're miserable or depressed or angry at life or bitter about their past. Uh, You can have all the resources in the world and still not be happy or filled uh, with joy. And, And then on the other hand, I know people who have very few resources. I know people and you know people whose life circumstances are very difficult, yet they are filled with joy and they do have happiness. And so whatever is the key to joy and happiness, we know it's not the stuff that we have. We know it's not the circumstances of our life. It has to be something different. And that brings us to the book of Philippians. Uh, This is just a small letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Philippi, a church that he had helped start and, and so people that he's friends with. And in this short letter, there's just a hundred verses in the letter, about a hundred verses long. In this short letter, Paul explains both the fact that he's filled with joy and the reason that he's filled with joy. And the reason this is so important is, is th- this is an unlikely story. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome. Uh, he had been found guilty of telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had proclaimed that Jesus died on the cross, that he came back to life three days later, and that he offered an opportunity for people to be rescued from their sin if they would put their faith and trust in him. He was arrested. As I said, he was convicted. Uh, He was awaiting his execution, which in fact would eventually come, maybe not in this imprisonment, but a subsequent imprisonment. And so here he is in a dungeon in Rome. There seemed to be little hope for Paul. And he could have had 
much to say. He could have talked about how unfair it was for him to be thrown into prison, really at the height of his ministry and his influence. He could have talked about how bad the food was. He could have talked about how the guards treated him unkindly, but he didn't mention any of that. He writes this letter, these 100 verses to his friends in Philippi to say, I am the most joyful person in the city of Rome, and here is why. And so I want us over the next few weeks just to study the book of Philippians. We're going to spend week after week just studying these 100 verses because I want us to know both the foundation and the method, the how-to of Paul's uncanny joy because we can experience the same kind of joy that he experienced. And so we're going to take 13 Sundays. The best I can tell outlining this out a little bit, we're going to take about 13 Sundays. We're going to do it over 14 weeks because we're going to take a week off and do something different in the middle. Uh, But we're going to take 13 different Sundays and just walk through these verses a little bit at a time. And and here's here's why I'm telling you this. I want you to do something as, uh, as we go through this. Now, I've never preached through the book of Philippians before. Most New Testament books I've preached through Uh, This one I preached through one time, just rapid fire, just in three or four weeks. But I've never gone long form through the book of Philippians like this. And so I'm going to be wrestling with the scripture right alongside you every week. And here's what I want to ask you to do. There are 92 days, counting today, between now and September 3rd, when we plan to finish this series. I would like to ask you to read a chapter in the book of Philippians. There are just four chapters, about 25 verses apiece. I want to ask you to read a chapter every single day. Now, many of you are already doing your Bible study and you have a program and a plan and you're reading something. Well, keep doing that. Don't stop that. But would you add on to that? Or if you're not doing something, let this be your something over the summer. Would you just read one chapter a day? If you did it seven days a week, and you may not hit seven, maybe for you it'll be four or five or six, but if you hit seven, you would read the book of Philippians over 20 times between now and September 3rd. And I promise you, you get up to 10, 12, 15 times, 20 times through this book, there are going to be things that will seep into your life that'll bring joy that you never anticipated And so I want to invite you just to read it over and over and over, just a chapter a day. And here's what I want you to do on top of that. Write down with each chapter one sentence of something that you've learned. Don't write six sentences or four sentences. If you write too much, you won't keep it up. I would rather you just write down one sentence a day, get a notebook, write it in the fly leaf of your Bible, whatever you need to do, but write down one sentence of something you learned something that uh, you've been challenged with, something that you've been reminded of, something you should do, something that uh, encourages you, but write down a sentence every day, something that's meant something to you from, uh, from the chapter that you've read. This morning, I started us off and I read Philippians chapter one and I wrote down this sentence, no matter what, God will not give up on me. And that's what stood out to me this morning. That's an encouragement to me. I needed that this morning. So I wrote that down. Now, if you're a social media person and everybody's not, some of you don't even know what social media is and that's fine. Just uh, sort of tune me out for 60 seconds. But if you're a social media person, won't you post it? So get online, post it in Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or pictogram or whatever you use and, uh, hashtag it FBCNAC. So hashtag FBCNAC. And if you don't know what that is, then I'm not talking to you. But if you will do that, 
that will allow us, uh, the rest of us to go on and be encouraged by what God is showing you in the chapter that you read that day. We'll probably all be on a different chapter after a week or two. Uh, so it'll be an encouragement. And I'll be able to go on and see some of that and we'll use some of that in the messages as we preach through uh, the book of Philippians in the, next, uh, in the next few weeks. So it seems that in the four chapters of Philippians, each chapter really has its own theme. There are four chapters and while they all talk about Paul's joy, uh, they, they, they deal with it in an individual way. And so chapter one has got one theme, chapter two another, and so forth. So the theme of chapter one, we're going to spend four weeks in chapter one. The theme of chapter one is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel is used six times in chapter one. Over and over, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this becomes the cornerstone of his joy. So it's important for us to understand what he's saying. In fact, the first occurrence of the word gospel is in verse five, Philippians chapter one, verse five, where he talks about how he and the church are in partnership with the gospel. And we'll see more of what that means in the weeks to come. But I want you to look at verse 6, Philippians 1, 6, because here he expresses what the gospel is. I mean, we're a gospel church, so we talk a lot about the gospel, but I, I wonder sometimes if we really know what we mean when we say the gospel. There are a lot of ways to say it, but he says it very well in chapter 1, verse 6. Notice what he says. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who started something in you is going to finish it on the day of Christ Jesus. So here, here's the gospel. God has started something among us. God has, God has made it possible that we could have a right relationship with him through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And if we will put our trust in what Jesus has done, the Bible says that God will change us, that he will rescue us from sin and he will form us into the character of his son. We can count on it. By the power of God, we can be changed. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's a difference between knowing the gospel, being able to say Jesus died for the, uh, for, for the sins of all people and we can put our trust in him and he will forgive us and change us. It's one thing to be able to say the gospel. It's another thing to know how to best respond to the gospel. Because I think for a lot of people, the gospel is just something in their head. It's not something that makes an impact in their lives. And so the, the, this morning, I want us to go back through Philippians 1.6. We're, we're just going to spend our whole time in this, uh, in this one verse. And I want, us, I want you to see how we should respond to the gospel. And so, so God has made a way for us to be right with him. But how do we, as, as Christians, how do we respond to the gospel? Now, the gospel, I should have said a moment ago, is just a word that means good news, good news. In the Greek, it's a compound word. The first part means good. The last part means news. It's the good news. Now, some of you picked up on that and you, you might have been critical of my message title, uh, which is the good news of the gospel. And you know what that really says is the good news of the good news. But I, I did that on purpose because I want you to see that the good news really is good news this morning. So how do we respond to the gospel? Well, number one, Number one, we need to chill, chill. Now that's not a theological word, I know. And I don't think I've ever used that word in a sermon. I hear my teenagers use that word from time to time. 
Uh, but, but let me show you what I mean by that. What does it mean to chill? Well, if you look back at verse six, he says, I am sure of this. Well, why did Paul begin this, this important expression of the gospel by saying, I am sure of this. I mean, we just can assume that Paul is sure of everything he writes. He, he, he doesn't put this phrase in front of all the other things that he says. So why does he say here before he gives us this expression of the gospel? Why does he say, I am sure of this? Well, there are no accidental words in scripture. I think he says this because he knew that some people that he was writing to, they were not sure of this. There were some people that, 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 that he was communicating with and they had a lot of uncertainty. They were not sure. They were concerned about the, uh, the, uh, the longevity of their walk with Christ, their relationship with God. I think some of the people that he was writing to, they, they had been genuinely converted, okay? They had come to know Christ as their savior, but after that, they had sinned and their spiritual life had sort of gone off the rails. Maybe they had allowed their devotion and their commitment to God to diminish a little bit. Maybe they failed to serve God or to give like they knew that they should give. And so now they're, they're worried that their relationship with God is broken, that their relationship with God is, is strained, that it's tenuous, that, oh no, maybe me and God aren't together anymore. Maybe God is angry at me. Maybe I'm about to lose my salvation. And so he says to these Philippians, I am sure of this. I know some of you are concerned about this and some of you are scared and some of you are worried and some of you feel like that your relationship with God is broken, but I am certain of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. And see, here's why that's important to us, because I know that some of you are in the same situation today. Some of you are drowning in guilt and condemnation. Some who are watching on television, you're drowning in guilt. Some of you are watching on, on the internet today, you're drowning in guilt. And, and, and there have been things that have transpired that maybe nobody knows about, behind the scenes things between you and the Lord. And, and because of that, you are so crushed with guilt. You are so fearful that God is angry at you and that your relationship with God is broken now that you can hardly stand it. There's some of you who feel like God is angry. There's some of you who wonder if God is about to give up on you. There's some who wonder if God will ever listen to you again. In fact, some of you are here this morning exactly because of that, because you messed up this last week or, or you messed up a month ago and you feel like if I could just go to church and maybe do some penance, maybe this is your, your punishment, your self-punishment for what you've done and maybe I could get back on God's good side if I could just come to church and sit through a sermon and sing some songs, maybe I could earn my way back into God's good favor. See, some of you are so concerned about your relationship with God that that's, that's the whole reason you're here. That's not a good reason to be here, but that's why you're here. Some people aren't here today for the same bad reason. They, they don't feel like they can come because, they, because their life has sort of run off the rails in, in recent days. Because they've sinned, they feel such guilt. They don't feel like they can, they can show their face in church. They, they don't feel like they can come and sit and listen to songs and a, and a sermon because they have so disappointed God. To all of those people, the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to chill, okay? 
You need to relax. Now he's not saying, so hang on with me here, he's not saying that sin is no big deal. Sin is a very big deal. We're going to see that all the way through the book of Philippians. So don't get upset with me here. He's not saying sin is no big deal, but what he's saying is that the connection that you have with God is not dependent upon your proper living. Now let that sink in a moment. The connection you have with God, that you're in God's family, that you've been adopted as a part of his family, that that God loves you, that is not dependent upon how well you've lived this last week. It's the the, the longevity of your relationship with God, the, the security, the firmness of your relationship with God is not dependent on how well you've kept the rules in the last several days. Now let me show you why that is. When you came to know Christ as your savior, if if you're a child of God today, when you became a child of God, what was the basis of your salvation? How, How did you come to know God? Was it because you fixed your life and you lived the straight and narrow for six months or for a year and God was so impressed with how well you lived that he said, finally, you're good enough, you're in. Is that how we came to know Christ as our savior? No, I came to know Christ as my savior, not because I was good enough, but because I trusted what Jesus Christ had done for me and because Jesus was good enough, God saved me, right? So how do I stay connected with God? If that's how I got connected with God, how do I stay connected with God? I'm telling you, it's the same way. I got connected because of the goodness and the merit of Jesus Christ and I stay connected to God by the goodness and the merit of Jesus Christ. The basis for coming to Christ is the work of Christ. The basis of staying with Christ, connected with Christ, is the work of Christ. And I think the Apostle Paul is just reminding, he's just reminding these uh, Christians in Philippi, just relax a moment. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. You can be certain of this. Now let me give you a a theological truth for you to just wrestle with for a moment or two. Nothing you can do, there is nothing you can do that'll make God love you more. Just think about that. You can't go out this week and do anything that's gonna make God love you more than he does right now. And nothing that you have done in your past has made God love you any less. Because God's love was never based on your conduct. It was based on Christ's life and sacrifice on the cross. And so the apostle Paul, he, he, he wrote about his struggle. If you read Romans chapter seven, uh, a chapter I think I really identify with too much in the Bible, but uh, in Romans chapter seven, Paul talks about his just personal struggles. But Paul said, I, I know what's right and I wanna do what's right, but I often find myself doing what I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I want to do. He says, what a wretched man am I? Who's gonna rescue me from this life? And then he answers his own question and he says, it's Jesus who will rescue me. And what does he mean it's Jesus who will rescue him? Because it's not Paul's conduct that earns him a right relationship with God. It is the conduct of Christ that earns him a right relationship with God. And then in the very next verse, it's actually the first verse of the next chapter, Romans chapter eight, 
Paul says, so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now listen, I'm not saying that uh, you should just ignore your sin. I promise you I'm not saying that. Stick with us through this series and you'll, you'll see that the Bible is clear that sin is a very serious thing. But sometimes we just need to take a deep breath. Sometimes we're, we're under such condemnation. Sometimes we feel so much guilt. Sometimes we're so frustrated that we just need to be reminded that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. We need to rest in the assurance that God will never give up on us. And so Paul starts by saying, chill, relax, relax. You're in God's hands. Now, the next thing I think he tells us to do in response to the gospel is we must live by faith. We need to relax, we need to chill, but we, we need to live by faith. And, and so if you, if you look back at verse six, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now notice he says, he who started a good work. So who started the good work in you? God started the good work. God made it possible through the death of Jesus Christ that you could have a relationship with him. And then God's Holy Spirit reached down and brought you to the point that you could respond to him and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But it started with God. So it says he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now I want you to know something about salvation. The Bible, it's interesting, talks about salvation with three different verb tenses. The Bible talks about salvation as a past tense event. There are several places in the Bible where it says that you have been saved, okay? And then the Bible talks about salvation in a present tense sense. There are a couple of places where the Bible says you are being saved. Today you're being saved. And then the Bible talks about salvation in a future tense. It says you will be saved in the future. So is salvation something that has already happened? Is salvation something that's happening today? Or is salvation something that's happening in the future? Well, it's all three things. Salvation includes the history, the present, and it includes the future. Now there's some theological words for that. Justification is what we call our salvation in the past. When I was a junior in high school, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. God convicted me of my sin and convinced me that I could put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And I asked him to forgive me and save me. I repented of my sins and I was saved. Okay, that's justification. It was a once for all declaration that all of my sins, past, present, and future were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's justification. That's, I was saved. Now, I am being saved. The Bible word for that is sanctification, that God is working on me. I, I wasn't made perfect when I, when I was justified. I was declared forgiven, but God is working on changing me every single day. Sanctification, I am being saved. And then one day, the Bible says that God will form me into the character of Christ and I will be like Jesus in character. That's glorification. I will be completely saved. Now, why is that important to know? What's well, important to know because we as Christians are in a salvation process. We are on a journey. We're not where we're going to be. We're not at the end of the journey yet. We are on the journey and that's important to know. Now we begin the journey how? We begin the journey 
by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and trusting Jesus and what he had done for us. But now listen to this. How do we continue the journey? If we started this journey by faith in, in what Jesus did, by trusting what Jesus did, how do we continue on the journey? Now this gets confusing to Christians. And so listen, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, because I think the longer you're a Christian, the, the, the more confusing this can, this can be. You continue the same way you started. Somewhere in this process, here's what happens. We know that we start by faith in what Jesus did, but a little bit at a time, we think it's now up to us. And, and that, that the beginning of my relationship with God was, was by grace through faith, but we, we begin to think that my continued relationship with God depends on my obedience to him. But the Bible says, no, it started by faith and it continues by faith. Let me show you a group of people who got this messed up. Um, the, the letter to the church at Galatia, and uh, one day we'll preach through Galatians, and uh, you, you perhaps have heard people preach through Galatians before, but I, I love the letter of Galatians. Uh, Paul is mad, though, through the whole letter. He's mad at the Galatians. This is his uh, angry letter. And he's mad at them because they have abandoned the gospel. Let me just read to you something from Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So here's this church, a good church, people genuinely saved. And Paul says, you have turned to a different gospel. Now, what could he mean? Are they following Zeus? Are they following uh, the, you know, some other foreign God? What, what does he mean they've turned to a different gospel? Well, he explains that a little later in the letter. And in Galatians 3, 3, he says this, are you so foolish that after beginning by the spirit, you are now finishing by the flesh? You see, what the people in Galatia had done is they had accepted, they had begun their relationship with God by just trusting what Jesus had done. But a little bit at a time, they felt like it was maintained by what they had done. They weren't living by faith. Now I can give you a, a little bit of, a, of an embarrassing testimony about this. Uh, my, um, my previous church, I, I, I'd been there 10 years and they decided that they just wanted to show me some, some kindness. And so they told me to take the summer off or to take 10 or 12 weeks off and go away and, and just hear from God, just pray and, and work on my relationship with God. And it was one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. And I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't have, um, it wasn't some big mystery I was trying to solve, but I was looking forward to uh, just going away and hearing from the Lord. And, and so I did, and I, and I read, and I read, and I read, and, and, and here, the Lord radically changed my life. Let me, let me tell you what I learned. I learned that when I was uh, 17 years old and I came to know Christ as my Savior, one day I'll have an opportunity to tell you the whole story, but uh, listen, I was, I was overwhelmed with joy because I was the chief of sinners. I was the, I was the least likely person to be saved and, that you would have known. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't have a relationship with God because I deserved it in any way at all. And I was so amazed that God would save me 
because of what Jesus did, despite who I was. I just, I was filled with joy. It wasn't the kind of joy that, that comes from an accomplishment, you know, like I finally fixed myself. No, it was the kind of joy that comes from knowing that you didn't fix yourself, somebody else fixed you. And I just was, I can't describe to you the joy that I had. But you know what had happened over the 30 years that followed that? Little bit by little bit, I had lost my joy. And I think one of the things I discovered when I was on that sabbatical is I had just lost my joy. I'd lost the joy of being a Christian. I'd lost the joy of walking with the Lord. And you know why? Because a little bit by little bit, I saw my Christian life is me trying to do enough good things to continue to earn God's favor. And I was driven by guilt. I was driven by fear. I knew my theology. There wasn't a problem there. But, but you know, sometimes you don't live by your own theology, right? And I was constantly trying to make up for my sins. I was trying to impress God with my new promises and my, my harder work. And I was reminded, reading through Galatians and Romans and Philippians, I was reminded in those few weeks that I was, that I would stay saved, that my relationship with God was as much dependent upon the work of Christ now as it was in the beginning. You see, you don't just become a Christian by faith. You live by faith. Now, here, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road on that. Our focus doesn't need to be so much on obedience. You know, it's easy for me to stand up here and just give you a list of rules and say you need to do this better and you need to do that thing better. And I could give you a hundred rules. We could show you rules in the Bible. Rules are not unimportant. God has expectations for how his children ought to live. But we could focus on rule after rule after rule and we could make you feel guilty and we could make you feel condemned and we could make you cry out, oh no, God will never love me again. But, but, but our focus doesn't need to be on rules. Our focus needs to be on faith. I need to trust God. The obedience comes as a result of my faith in God. If I will learn to love God more, if I will learn to trust God deeper, then the obedience will come in my life. What this verse tells us is that we need to live by faith. He who started a good work will carry it on to completion. He will do it. And I need to have faith in that. And then the third thing I think we see that how we should respond to the gospel is we need to cherish progress. So, so we look back at this verse, he says, he who started a good work will carry it on to completion. Now what that tells me is that it's not completed yet. If God's gonna carry it on to completion, is it completed yet? Is your spiritual life, is your spiritual growth and maturity, is it completed yet? No, not according to this verse, because it says he who has started it will carry it on to completion up to the day of Christ Jesus. So one day it will be complete, but it's not complete yet. Now that's not saying that we should just shrug our shoulders and, and, and live without uh, urgency, that we should be complacent about our sin and say, well, everybody sins and nobody's perfect and so it doesn't really matter. No, not, not at all. But what it does tell us is that we shouldn't be surprised that it's not complete yet. He tells us that God will complete it, which means there's still time. God's still working. And we ought to be patient with some of those things. Let me tell you how most Christians live out the Christian life. 
they have a genuine conversion experience. So they come to know Jesus as their savior. And then they try really hard to change, right? You identifying with this? So we come to know Christ. We try really hard to change. And then we feel guilty. We feel separated. We feel rejected because we're not as successful as we could be. And then we pray a really bad prayer. That sounds like something, sounds something like this. Oh God, I mean, I really thought that I would never sin again, but I have, and I'm so sorry, but give me a chance and I'll fix this. And so you see where the focus is. I will fix this. I, God will fix this. I'm sorry, God, I I messed up. Give me a chance. I'm going to fix who I am. And so then we try harder and then we have more guilt and more shame and more desperation. Listen, this side of eternity, you're not going to be perfect. I didn't, that's not an excuse for sin as as we're going to see in a moment. But what it means is we ought to cherish progress, not perfection. You know, I am not what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be either. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not there yet, but I've sure come a long ways. God has sure brought me a long ways. And that was the attitude that Paul had. We're going to get to this in in a few weeks when we get to Philippians chapter three, but listen to what Paul said. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prized promise, God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So what he says is, Paul says, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be yet, and I'm, I'm pressing on, I'm not being complacent about it, but I'm thankful that God has brought me as far as he's brought me. See, we need to cherish the progress that we've made. Don't, don't just beat yourself up because you're not perfect. You're, you, 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 God's still working on you. But, but you need to look for progress and strive for progress. And you need to cherish the progress that God brings to your life every day. You know, one more lesson we learned from that is we need, to, we need to cherish the progress in the lives of others. Now, in churches, this, this is something that can be very dangerous sometimes. We will look at people, maybe new people in our, in our family, in our faith family, and we will be critical of them because of the sins in their lives. Because we have a standard that they've fallen short of. Does that make sense? It's easy for us to be critical of people because they've fallen short of our standard. But that's, we, we don't need to be comparing them with our standard. We, we need to be cherishing the progress that they're making. And so a young Christian is, gonna, is, is not going to live like somebody who's been a Christian for 45 years and been walking with the Lord 45 years. A young Christian, I mean, he's in the first part. He's in the first part of this process. And we need to be patient and we need to cherish the progress that person is making and not condemn them because they don't meet some standard that we've, that we've created. This verse says that, that he who has started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. We're not complete yet, but give God time. And he'll complete it. And then the final thing we need to do in response to the gospel is we need to anticipate the finish line. I love the last few words of this verse. He says, until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're looking forward to when you think of heaven. Uh, A lot of funerals through the years and it seems like when a funeral comes around, people want to and should talk about heaven. And I've stood with a lot of people who were who are about to pass. And I've talked to a lot of people just hours before they died. I've talked to them about heaven. It's interesting to 
hear what people anticipate about heaven. And, and it's all good stuff. People will talk about the streets of gold. I can't wait to see the streets of gold. Or uh, people will talk about the, the crown of righteousness, uh, the crown of life that uh, they, they hope to receive. And they'll, they'll talk about that. Some people will talk about restored health, you know, for the day that my legs will be strong and, and my body will be fit again. And, and certainly that's uh, something to anticipate and something the Bible promises. Uh, some people will talk about uh, re, a reunion with loved ones. And that's something, of course, we all long for. And again, something the Bible promises us. But you know, the greatest anticipation shouldn't be for those things. The greatest anticipation, we see it right here in Philippians 1.6, the greatest anticipation should be that God will complete our salvation. That God will form us into the character of Christ. That finally, there will be no more temptation. Finally, there will be no more spiritual growth that's needed. Finally, God will make us like Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, uh, this past week, uh, I've, I've been in uh, Ohio all week and there, there were some church things uh, that I needed to do and I needed to prepare this message and some other things, but it was, uh, it was an undisciplined week for me. Now, I didn't have to get up every morning at a certain time and the schedules were crazy every day. There were a lot of family events going on and, and it was just an undisciplined week for me. It was my first undisciplined week of, of this calendar year. And um, I was so anxious to get back, uh, not, not just to get back to be home here in Texas, but I was so anxious just to get back to my routine and, and to the things that I do every day. It's just, it was an undisciplined week. My... Um, my devotional life wasn't what it should have been. Just because I was out of routine, I, but my devotional life wasn't, wasn't what it should have been. Uh, a temptation that I haven't struggled with for years, well, a temptation I haven't struggled with for a long time, came back into my life this last week. I mean, nothing scandalous, I mean, nothing, but it, it came back and I thought, you know, I. I thought I would never have to deal with that temptation again. And here it was, it was right back in my life. And I, I, let me tell you as your pastor, I am tired of my own sin. You, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm tired of temptation. I'm tired of fighting and failing. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired. And my greatest anticipation when my life comes to an end is that finally God will form me into the character of Christ. L listen to what he says in Romans 8, 28 and 29. He says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We, we, we're familiar with that part of the verse, but he goes on to say this. This is his purpose. This is what, he's, what he wants to do. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what we ought to anticipate in Christ. And that's what he promises us. He says, be confident of this, that he who began this good work in you, he will finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. Have you ever started a project and not finished it? <laughs> I, um, I have several half-written books. If you ever wanted to read a half a book, I could... <laughs> 
could help you out with that. Um, I, we're packing up, um, packing up my house in Ohio and um, I was reminded as we were working on some of that of how many uh, house projects I started and never finished. And I'm, I'm sure I'm the only person that's had that experience, but uh, I, there are some unfinished tasks in my life. But listen, God has never started a project he didn't finish. Isn't that good news? He says, being confident of this, that he who started this will finish it. You know, I'm not confident in my goodness. I'm not. I've lived long enough to know that I shouldn't put my confidence in my goodness. I'm not confident in my, uh, my confidence is not in my character. My confidence is not in my ability to keep promises, to persevere, or to always make wise choices. My confidence is in the word of God and the promise that he who began a good work in me will finish it. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. And so the gospel, the gospel, the good news is really good news. It's an amazing thing. It's not a license to sin. It's not an excuse to be complacent about striving to be more like Jesus. But what an encouragement. What a comfort to know that we're in the hands of God and that he who began a good work in us promises he'll finish it if you don't know Christ as your savior in a moment we're going to stand and sing and um, this is this is such wonderful good news I want to invite you just to come down to the front while others are singing and take my hand and say pastor today I want to become a child of God and I'll talk with you somebody will talk with you right down here in the front privately about how you can be forever and ever a child of God but for many of us, we know Christ is our savior, but we've been living in guilt and frustration. We've been trying so hard to impress God, to make up for our wrongdoings. But this morning, may we be reminded of the gospel and may we be encouraged and may we live for Jesus. May we live the words of scripture, not out of fear, but because of faith. Father, this is your time to stamp these truths on our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.